You are listening to The Path Podcast on Mountain Bike Radio. Welcome back to a new episode of The Path Podcast. This episode is brought to you again by Epic Rides. Head over to epicrides.com for all of the information, how to register, details, videos, pictures. It's all right there. So thank you to them. Also, thank you all listeners for all your emails, your feedback, your support, uh, members, and uh, everything. I really do appreciate it. And if you could go do one thing, head over to mountainbikeradio.com slash support MBR. That will uh, get you some information on how you can support the show. So thank you and enjoy this episode of the Path Podcast after a quick note from Rose Grant. Hey, I'm Rose Grant. I'm a pro mountain biker for Stan Snow Tubes. And the overall female winner of the 2016 Epic Rides Off-Road Series. I'm a huge supporter of this race series because it truly offers big, epic backcountry rides on world-class trail systems. And each host venue embraces a vibrant environment with free live music, which creates a fun, family-friendly mountain bike party all weekend. I'm stoked to be racing the Epic Ride Series again in 2017, and I look forward to hanging out with all of you at the Whiskey, Grand Junction, and Carson City Off-Road events. Epic Rides races do tend to fill up quickly, so I encourage you to get more information and register today at epicrides.com. The buttercream creaminess of Creamy Deluxe. It's the only way to frost the incredible moistness of a super moist cake. Welcome to another episode of the Path Podcast. We're so sorry. <laughs> Good evening, all. Hashtag not sorry. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Nathan here with uh, Tani and Ock, as usual. Good evening. And a good evening to you, fellows. Um, I think, as usual, we're going to start with some uh, some shop news, if uh, Ock can compose himself. All right. We're ready. <laughs> <laughs> He's, all right, all right. Sh- oh, sh- dude. Oh, oh, dude. Man. <laughs> oh, man. All right. We shop. had some pre. We had some pre-show. Oh, man's. <laughs> oh, man. We hope you enjoyed that vintage <laughs> ad for super moist oh, Betty Crocker cake. <laughs> we just thought if it's good enough for Betty Crocker, <laughs> how can it be bad? <laughs> all right. So, um, <laughs> so. Just on that, not, not on that note. So someone had wrote, written in, uh, before I get to shop news, someone had written in like, hey, hey guys, we, we I like listening to you guys, the kind of the the friendliness, the kind of the, the friendly banter that goes back and forth, they really enjoyed. And it's interesting because I was listening to, I think it's called The Morning Roast. It's a sports talk show host, a sports talk show on, I think it might be ESPN Radio or something like that. And uh, you could tell that those folks really enjoy uh, each other's company. And I think uh, I kind of got to hear from a, a different podcast maybe what that listener was uh, was was talking about. Cool. Because I enjoy hanging out with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> love you too, buddy. I love you, man. <laughs> All right. So anyways, um, on to shop news. So, hey – we we always talk about demo 
demo rides um, that come up. And speaking of those, I'm gonna I'm gonna send one out here. We've got Giant and Santa Cruz uh, demo days on this coming Sunday, so that'd be March 12th, out of the Live Oak shop uh, from nine to three. So again, Giant and Demo two two uh, companies that have some really great bikes out right now. So um, join us on Sunday. Uh, again, all the standard rules apply for demo days. Bring a license or a parent to sign sign for you, your helmet and pedals uh, and shoes, and away you'll go. And a smile. And a smile. So <clears throat> anyways, um, one of the things, this kind of an interesting twist on demo days is that Ian from the Path Bike Shop is the Viking. The Viking. Yeah. The big, friendly Viking. <laughs> and he is leading a Saturday advanced shop demo ride. And so basically the, the way that this concept works is call ahead of time and see if there's a, a demo bike available that you'd like to ride. And uh, Ian and the shop will bring it out to the to the trailhead. Is that right, Tony? Correct. And um, you get actually get to demo that bike for that ride for free. For for the for now, for we now. may begin charging for this, but for now it's free. So this is a great great opportunity. So, I mean, if my understanding is right about the demo rides, you know, if you mm, you pay to you pay to demo bikes, which is a great value in my mind. Um, and if you end up buying um, buying a bike from the shop, you can apply the cost of that demo uh, to the to the bike itself. Yep, up to ten percent of the purchase price. So, like, if you buy a two thousand dollar bike, you could use up to two hundred dollars in rental fees. So that's a pretty smoking deal. So in this case, you can actually, for the time being, get in at the entry level of this deal and um, demo some bikes for free. Uh, yeah, is, then you could go buy it from like Colorado Cyclist or something. <laughs> <laughs> After you meet Ian and go ride on our demo ride with us and meet the staff and all that and hear about all the post sale service, you're not going to want to do that. <laughs> My sarcasm will be just fun. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So um, t- take advantage of that uh, while it's still around. I mean, I, that's a that's a pretty awesome deal. That that's a pretty cool t- thing too, especially if you just want to demo a new bike really quick. Like to have it delivered and taken back for you is really and you know super easy. If you have advanced skills but not necessarily advanced fitness, you could maybe take out one of the giant full e bikes that Nathan also rode on this ride. Yep. Oh man, I uh, electric full suspension assist. Yep. Pedal assist. I've got a few hours on that bad boy now. We'll circle back on that. Yep. Man, you got a few hours on that? At least, yeah. Nathan's probably, been riding a lot of different demo bikes. Yeah, I probably got at least four hours on that bike. Is that two, two full charges. Is that here? No, I already took that back. Oh, man. That was we have lot. a medium now, too. Oh, gosh. Maybe we should go ride. <laughs> E-bikes? <laughs> E-bikes. E-bike day. We E-bike could. day. E-bike. I, I can teach you all my learnings. Yeah, I would love that. E-bike time. We'll uh we'll we'll get to the e bike e bike talking a little bit. Will we go uh, twice the distance with the same effort? We will recap this show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I will, I will give you the secret soon. <laughs> uh, 
All right. So the last thing on shop news is the annual spring cleaning sale. So this is again um, one of the few sales that uh, goes on at the shop, and it's actually one of the. It is probably the biggest, if not one of the biggest. It has often been our biggest single day of the year. So, and for people who like. Um, like good deals on last year's stuff. This is the day like Megan and myself and Brian and other people in the shop have been spent seriously spending, um, whole, whole shifts scour, like finding all the stuff in the shop that shouldn't be there anymore. And then trying to figure out what a ridiculously low price would be for that, for the depth, for the spring cleaning sale. Sweet. Not to mention everything store-wide will be discounted as well. We'll have reps there. We're going to have – we'll have more announcements to come, but tentatively, I think I think Smith is going to be there with a bunch of extra merchandise. I think Intense might be there. Um, we're going to have um, vendors there too, bringing sale stuff, bringing hot new stuff, bringing demo stuff, I think. I don't want to get too – we're still setting a lot of this stuff up, but it's shaping up to be quite a day. Um, group rides, barbecue. Once again, book your airline tickets. Man, that <laughs> sounds awesome. So what are the dates and times on this, Tony, again? It's Sunday the 19th, um, 10 to 5 in the Tustin shop. That should be a, a great, uh, great, great time. Um, will we see some bike sumo? I won't say that we will not see bike sumo. <laughs> Send us your requests for bike sumo and we will have bike sumo. Again, yeah. Parking lot shenanigans. <laughs> that one, I mean, last time we had bike sumo, last couple times we had bike sumo, we didn't get quite the turnout that we had in the heyday of bike sumo. <laughs> but if there's if there's demand, we will do it again. That's cool. And you will and, and I challenge the public to come beat me at bike sumo. <laughs> I'd kind of be Hear that, Hans? I want to rematch. <laughs> be interested nice. in seeing like Nathan involved with with bike sumo. I'm not sure how I would stack up in this. <laughs> Nathan's got the skills for sure. Definitely has the skills. I don't know if he has the like the hip the hip like um, space control moves. Ah, okay. <laughs> he has them, but I don't think he thinks of them like a wrestler. <laughs> yeah. He can do the moves, but he doesn't think of them the way a wrestler thinks of them. Tony, so you have a uh, wrestling background. Do you have jujitsu background? Casually. Casually, okay. <laughs> but the wrestling background the, is, is pretty phenomenal. The amount of wrestling I did makes it so that a little bit of jujitsu goes a long way. Very it's nice. like kind of how like you know some BMX goes to downhill. Maybe. Right, right. A L- little bit in the background can can help a lot. I think it's a really good analogy. Wrestling and jujitsu, BMX and downhill. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'd actually maybe even maybe we could do that someday before as like pre ride or, or pre podcast. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think there's an element of stepping into the ring and just seeing how it goes. That is very true. Uh. So if you have suggestions for us on our um maybe bike bike um events at the at the spring cleaning event, send it to the pot the pot to podcast at the pathbikeshop.com. Yep. And uh that'll get to us as well. And to all of you guys who have 
and gals who have been switching over to sending us um, emails at the po- at podcast at the pathbikeshop.com. Again, no the in front of the podcast. Uh, podcast at the pathbikeshop.com. Thank you very much. That's been super helpful for for the three of us. Um, yeah. It uh, uh, our organization has gotten much better on the questions. And that's we're we're pretty stoked. So Anyways, that's pretty much where we're at uh, on shop news. That's not any sort of admission that we didn't answer your <laughs> questions because we were disorganized. <laughs> Nathan, I tried. I so tried. No, and Nathan did a phenomenal job at bringing all the all the questions into a shared Google Docs document. Well, just to tell you, though, that shared Google Doc, I think, grew to almost 70 pages long. Well, you know, it, you did have a good, a good system of highlighting things and, you know, yeah. color coding. So... So, but we are making a more concerted effort to get to um, more get to, uh, more automation. Yeah, and and more focused attention on listener questions. Cool. We do this for you, for <laughs> our listeners. And hey, thanks to all for making us. Uh, what is it? Four bars on the popularity on in iTunes. Yeah. Uh, let's not jinx it. Let's not count our money at the table. <laughs> 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 Don't be so suspicious, uh, superstitious. <laughs> yeah, I'm not superstitious, but I do believe that when you count your money at the table, it creates the wrong mindset for the right kind of gambling. <laughs> true, true, true. I believe in certain kinds of superstitions that have roots in human behavior. That is, that's very true. All right, so um, that pretty much concludes our um, shop news, right? I want to bust out a couple of a couple of emails we got. Okay. Because they address things I wanted to address anyway. Sweet. Go for it. So, William. Hey, guys. In response to your engineering question, the angular velocity of the wheel does not directly affect the difficulty of linear acceleration of the suspension. Love the show, guys. Keep it moist. <laughs> Will, an engineer. <laughs> now, I want to say I think that's a perfectly crafted email. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, Will, on a perfectly crafted email. And yes, um, this sums up my thoughts on my digression. Um, I was wrong. And um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Correction made, retraction. Well, and, 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 in, and in, in so much as I feel inclined to defend myself, which I don't because I'm here to learn as much as anything else. Um, I don't think I quite said that it does. I sort of conjectured that it might and then asked if it does. <laughs> and I'm not a trained um, physicist or engineer. <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of interesting. I think sometimes podcasts or radio shows, you know, uh, the hosts want to say like, we know all and this is the way it is. I'm not sure that's our approach. I would say, if anything, if I have something to prove, it's that I'm not going to sound certain if I'm not certain. Right, very much so. So hopefully I didn't sound certain. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Will, the engineer. All right, thanks, Will. It, yeah. Um, and then, you know, this is, a, this is an email that actually got me thinking a little bit and um, got me doing a little bit of Googling to see to make sure that I understand the, the conversation. And I'm still trying to make sure I do fully understand the current conversation. Um, But I'm going to go ahead and read the email. 
I was enjoying episode number 836 until about the hour mark when I was horrified to hear about our hear our esteemed host endorsing the knee over pedal spindle method. KOPS, knee over pedal spindle, has been discredited, discredited as a useful method. It takes no account of either physiological differences, foot size, shin and femur length, ankle articulation, or the general attitude of the position. Is the body rotated forward around the bottom bracket, racy position, or upright, commanding position? It's only valid as a rule of thumb for a tiny fraction of the population with a small subset of positions. I found your sprung versus unsprung weight discussion amusing. See attachment, and the attachment is a fat, uh, rigid fat bike. <laughs> so that, that's good. Um, I'm glad we're all on the same page about humor. Um, as far as knee over pedal, um, as Ox stated when I brought this up with him earlier, I do think I came, I probably came off as more dogmatic on the topic than I am. So like when I'm setting up someone with knee over pedal, I use the plumb bob. I see wh what would be considered a traditional knee over pedal. And then we talk about if it feels more comfortable, if it feels more powerful. And I look at their pedal stroke and see if it seems less smooth, more smooth, if their knee is tracking better or less well or all kinds of things. I'm looking for visual cues and talking to them about whether it's actually a better position for them. So, and then as far as the ankle articulation, I really think that is an, a good point. And when we do our fits, we look for the ankle articulation under pedaling load that the rider displays. And we try to measure in that position. Now you have some ankle articulation injury challenges, right? Yes. So, um, I have a limited um, dorsal flexion in my left ankle due to um, what's called a bimally. I broke both of my um, leg bones right above my ankle. Bi-broken. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Bimalleolar. I really broke my leg, dude. Both my malleoluses <laughs> popped off and my foot was swinging around. Mm. So... Um, that's sort of related to this conversation, but maybe not too much. Um, I mean, it, it is in so much as you're going to get a little bit different reading on that foot than on my other foot. And it's a good example of how um, the overpedal measurement isn't just the end all be all of position. Right. Because if you measured. So, um, but what, what I would say is having fit many, many people, um, it seems like a great starting point for a lot of people and a great ending point for a lot of people. And, um, as far, as far as being discredited, I knew this was a debated approach, but I also don't know too many fitters who don't do this. I mean, I think good fitters don't use it real dogmatically, but there's not a different way to measure for aft of the rider that I'm aware of. And there's not a more credible way to find a starting point that I'm aware of. And I was able to find the articles that I, some that I knew about and some that I didn't know about on the internet that kind of debate knee over pedal as an effective way to set a rider up in a powerful, safe position. But none of them claimed to be, um, fully disproving it more. They were questioning that it was proven. Right. And questioning that it was effective, but not claiming to have proof one way or the other. 
Yeah. So I would, I would be curious to hear, um, from our listener, if he has some sources that are, um, really truly discrediting as opposed to just debating, because like, for example, the Sheldon Brown article definitely debates knee over pedal as, as, as an effective method for, for most people, it definitely accuses it of being crude at best and arbitrary, maybe, but it doesn't seem to say that it's proven one way or the. And I think it even says that it, it's. I think the article even states that there's not really proof one, and that that's part of the problem, right? But it, so, um, I think that's good input that we got from our listener. Um, I think maybe that um, the the technique that we're using at the path is a little bit more debated than I thought. And I'm glad to be included in that conversation. Um, and I would reassure our listener that, um, we're not just putting people there and saying, this is the best position for everyone. We're saying right. it's a position people should try see how it feels and adjust from. Right. And you watch them. You, you watch. We look, well, we look at look visual cues while they pedal and we dialogue with them about their comfort and power. And right. So um, every once in a while, I, I listen to you know the the JRA show on the mountain bike radio, and they do a great show too. And one of the things that they were talking about, um, which I actually thought was really insightful, was if as you're riding your bike, um, if you find yourself wanting to squirm or move or keep shifting in a continual direction to really key into something like that. So say for example, on your saddle, if you find yourself always scooting up, kind of take a real mental note of that or if you keep wanting to like push your hands out say like you're riding on your palms and you feel kind of scrunched up on the bike you keep wanting to push your hands farther out like pay attention to things it should like be comfortable that. yeah or if your neck hurts or if your shoulders hurt or if your lower back hurts or if your knees hurt like really riding shouldn't make stuff hurt and for most people even with limitations and injuries a position can be found that doesn't right so I think that this that the this comment brings to light a couple of other things that I'm not real pleased about with how I presented it. And kind of what I had said was just find a fitter who is going to measure your knee angle and measure your knee over pedal and and they'll probably be qualified to fit you. And I think maybe maybe I was putting a little bit too much confidence in my fellow fitters that that they're all pretty good fitters. Hmm. And that they're not and that they're going to have a dialogue with you and watch you and maybe, and, and use that as a starting point, not an ending point. Right. Um, so I might've been a little more dogmatic than I meant to be. And I might've been a little more optimistic about my fellow fitters than I meant to be. <laughs> and I think those are good points. Yeah. Yeah. So no, qualify your fitter well and make sure that a lot of people have become more comfortable or eliminated pain or, or gotten better power results or some, some noticeable improvement that's been repeated through more than one person. Is, is there anything um, that you've found that seems to be when you're doing fits on people, that's like a, you're seeing a, a common kind of misdirection, like saddle often too high, saddle often too low, too far forward, too far back. No. Like I would say we move the saddle up almost as much or like about as much as we move it down. We move it forward about as much as we move it back. Okay. Um, we tilt it down a little in the nose about as much as we level it out. Very, very rarely do we see people who aren't downhillers coming with the nose pointed up. Right. Um, 
We lengthen the reach as often as we extend. Actually, you know what? If there's one thing that comes up a lot, it's a lot of our customers actually for best pedaling position would be in a little longer reach. Okay. So I wouldn't even say that is an over, it's not like an overwhelming majority. Right. But maybe, well, and that makes sense. Kind of in this climate, a lot of people are running the shortest stem possible based on steering performance and handling. And And it's changing as reaches have been getting longer too. Right. Right. Um, a lot of times, you know, a common one, a pretty common one is that we move the cleats back a little bit. If someone's getting foot numbness, a lot, the traditional thing where the cleat is lined up with the ball of the foot. Right. A, it's, it's a pretty good spot for a lot of people, but if there, there's apparently there's a nerve kind of right there, just inside that, that first met head. And, um, if you're getting like hot, a hot spot or numbness there, you might try sliding your cleat back a little bit. Like five millimeters, seven millimeters. That's that's a fair amount. Yeah, ish. Yeah, it's like right on the edge of a fair amount from a lot of fit perspectives. Mm. Okay, like I think in a lot of fit metrics, five millimeters is kind of considered the minimal worthwhile adjustment. That I guess that seems a lot on the cleat where the whole circle of adjustment is. You know, like, like right. twenty it's a millimeters. Big percentage big of the per- range. Big right. percentage of the range. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people could use a little more range. Some people. Like meaning the shoes could well, be slotted Well, some people more. do well with like even like a midfoot cleat placement. Oh, wow. Like out, are you finding that some people need it outside of the range that the shoe will allow? I think the midfoot thing is common with like endurance and touring. Okay. Um, but also people with other sorts of limitation with like limitations. Cool. Um you know, the most common adjustment that I make in bike fits is I set people up for one finger braking. Oh, interesting. So I, I do a lot of moving the brake levers in towards the stem and moving the brake levers in towards the bar. In towards the... Mm. Wait, so what? adjusting the clamp in towards the stem and adjusting the lever reach in towards the bar. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, see, so I'm, I'm a little bit of an outlier on that. And actually, like, my bikes are behind you. And mine, my brake levers are all the way up against my grip. But I do one-finger brake. But I pour a good half inch of my palm over the outside edge of the grip when I ride. It's a function of – so I, I wouldn't change your setup. As long as how you ride, you're, you can one-finger brake without the lever hitting your second knuckle. Yeah. And you can get, and as long as your levers aren't set up so far from the bars that your hands are really extended while you're braking. Right. Like, that's what I'm trying to help people accomplish. Yeah. And a lot of people haven't accomplished that. And when I help them, they're like, oh, this is a lot more control, a lot right. more confident. It's yeah. weird. If I, if I can't get the palm of my hand towards, because recently when I demoed the e bike, the levers, I couldn't get them set up where I like them. And so I had to hold more of the grip and I couldn't pour my palm over the edge, it made me feel really, like, that was probably one of the biggest, like, irritating things. And it's one of those little things, you know, it's just personal to me. Nothing wrong with the bike, just I couldn't get the levers where I wanted them. You could cheat the lock-ons out a little bit. Um, well, I, I need think Nathan's end. saying he wants his hand hanging off the edge. He feels uncomfortable if it's not. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I, I can show you guys really quick. I feel like I'm fully picturing it. Yeah. Nathan has his hand on the grip yep, yep. and like 
from like the pinky part of his palm is hanging off the edge. Yep. Yeah. And that's think, more or less how Auk and I ride too. I think that's about how we, which is kind of an interesting. But we, I have the fat hands. <laughs> right. And you guys run SRAM brakes that have a little bit longer levers. Like I run, Shim- I have Shimano brakes right. on my bike. And so they're short and I, I just go all the way to the grip. Right. And that's actually something that Tani and I were talking about this past weekend was, um, Tani and I have very similar uh, setups from a, uh, our bikes, bike size and fit. Uh, we have similar uh, riding inseams and torso um, lengths. Arm lengths are similar. But what's We're very- both striving for 5'8 with short legs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that really is. But what's really interesting is one of the biggest differences is our brake lever position. And... Yeah. Yeah. But I think when our hands are on the grips, our hand to grip and brake lever relationship is actually very very similar. similar. That is very true. Other than the fact that you have yours rotated up all wacky. (laughs) (laughs) And that's like a lately thing, I feel like. That is more of a lately thing. That is very true. Other than current trends notwithstanding. (laughs) And I think for, so for Nathan, when you say that you have your, um, uh, your brakes shifted out, outward right um i think your hands and my hands are probably from a width or meaty meaty perspective human more similar (laughs) right right more human less less (laughs) ape (laughs) tawny's got big hands (laughs) they're not even they're not big they're just meaty they they are meaty They're, they're like as wide as they are long yeah they're square. <laughs> and your feet, we had this conversation pretty, too. Pretty like triangular, like <laughs> slices of pizza. <laughs> Backwards pointing slices yeah. of pizza. Yeah, exactly. So Tani and I would have probably similar sized feet, except his are meatier than mine, I think. Yeah. Anyways. So this goes to the setup. It's just, you know, where, where your how wide your hands are, where your... I like to set it up so that um, your pointer finger pulls the brake and the end of the brake lever just clears the next finger. Right. And I like to get the levers pretty close to the bar before they engage. Right. I feel like the closer to the bar you get, the more power you have to grip the bars and less arm pump you get. Yep. And really the more power you have on the brakes and control of the brakes. Yeah, I feel that way too. The one outlier that I know of is uh, – I. Remember seeing like Curtis Keene sets up his levers way far out. Oh, there's lots of people who set their bikes up different who are yeah. faster than us. Yeah. <laughs> right. Lots of them. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I wonder what the shock was would say about their brake lever position. <laughs> do you, you guys want to talk shock whiz? Okay, hang on. I just, do. Hang on just a second. I, I might have something for this. <laughs> that didn't quite work out well. My computer's been acting up. Anyway, I just wanted to remember the Seinfeld. I'm the whiz guy. Every time I see the shock whiz, I think of that. Awesome. So shock whiz, Tony. I tried it. I like it. Man, I think you've tried it quite a bit too. I've been on. I've I've been to Oaks twice and the Luge once with it. And so the way it works is part of part of how it works is that. Um, do we want to give just a quick overview of someone who maybe hasn't heard about the Wiz yet? Just a quick Okay, oh. let's I'll take you through the whole setup from the beginning. Okay. Okay, so you take the thing out of the box and it's this little um maybe one and a half by one and a half by half inch 
thing. Right. And um, it comes with a couple of different hose lengths that you connect to the air valve of either your fork or your rear shock. So I have one connected to my fork and one connected to my rear shock. Right. And basically, I guess, just overview, it's a shock tuning diagnostic tool. Yes. Yeah. Um, a feedback. Right. Right. Ock, were you saying something? Nope. Nope. I was just looking it up on the on the internet. So, I can so it's zip, link, one yeah. is zip tied to my fork crown. Right. And one is zip tied to the air can of my rear shock. Right. I downloaded the app and my phone can log into either one and, and tell me what's going on. And basically what these things are is they're pressure sensors that uh, tap into the fork's air pressure. And based on the pressure variations, it does a, has a bunch of algorithms that tells you things about your suspension. So it's live measuring the performance of your suspension, and it's using air pressure to make those calculations. Right. So while it's on there, I can, I can say log into the one on my fork, push down on my fork, and it'll tell me how far into the fork travel I've pushed live on the phone. Right. Okay. Now you have to tell it how much, on part of the setup, do you have to tell it what travel your fork's supposed to be. All so that. during calibration, what you do is you put it on and then you calibrate it. And okay. by when you calibrate it, you pretty much, your phone just takes you through a series of instructions that has to do with like, let all the air out of your fork, push it all the way down. Ah. Press all the way. Okay. Now push this button and it counts down from like eight to zero or something. And then it's like, okay, now extend it all the way and then push this button. You just follow some instructions and what it's basically doing is measuring, um, change in pressure in your fork on full open versus full compression in order to calculate kind of the air spring curve Got of your fork. Okay. So it, it, it gains an understanding of where you are in the travel all the time. Right. So it's measuring how much time you're spending deep in the travel. It measures your dynamic sag. It measures how many quote unquote deep travel events you have it measures <laughs> how long you sp it measures your average time off the ground so after you get the you get the the unit set up on your bike and you get them calibrated and then you go ride and then it 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 you can log in you, you download the app on your phone and then you log into the shock whiz and you can pick three different you can pick balanced aggressive or playful and it'll make different suggestions based on how you want it to feel. Okay, so it's 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 measuring what's happening during your ride, and then it gives you tuning suggestions, but you got to tell it what your riding preference or style is. Correct. And along the way, it tells you how confident it is in those suggestions and what to go ride to get more confident in those suggestions. Oh, interesting. In other words, so it'll say like 60% confidence in the suggestions, and then it'll say go ride fast, rocky, rooty, bumpy stuff to get a better suggestion. Now, will it make, um, will it re-suggest you to the category based on its feedback or does it, so once you, you do have to pick, so in other words, if you pick playful, it says, no, no, you're more of a balanced rider. Will it make that suggestion? It's more like, so for me, how it worked was like, I didn't like the suggestions it was making for balance for my fork. So I tried playful and I liked it. Oh, okay. Okay. But it's and a, you can yeah. like you can look at the suggestions for balanced and look at the suggestions for playful and look at the score for balance. It it also gives you a score of like how good your suspension is set up, how well your suspension is set up. So 
like right now, I think my score for my rear shock is 96% for balanced. And I like how it feels. And when I first started, it was 92%. It told me to slow down my rebound. I did. I liked it better. It's at 96%. Okay. On the fork, it's, I, I didn't really like how my fork on that bike was riding at the time. I was playing around with it and trying to find a setting I liked better. And it scored it lower, which I was impressed. Like I agreed with it. Like right. it, it, it more or less scored my rear shock high from the beginning. And I kind of liked how the rear shock was feeling on that bike from the beginning. And it scored the suspend, the fork low, lower. And I felt like the fork needed more work. So I made some of the adjustments that it recommended for the fork for balance. And I liked it better, but it still wasn't scoring it real high. And it was make, it was asking me to slow the rebound down more for the fork. I'd already slowed the rebound down on the fork. I think I'm already, I already was running slower rebound than either of you. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, um, it asked me to slow it down more. I did first it asked me to let some air pressure out, which I, you're supposed to do it in order, like air pressure, um, and volume reducers and then rebound speed and then compression speed. Like it shows it to you in those orders and you're supposed to do the adjustments in those orders. Okay. So, I slowed the rebound down on the fork. I liked it better, but then it wanted me to slow it down even more. And I was like, I, I'm not gonna like, <laughs> yeah, basically like I, I know that for me, it's scary to run it slower than this. I've done that yeah. basically. So just curious, I switched it to playful and it was like 98%. I was like, Oh, well, it's good feeling good to me right now. So right. I think maybe I like my fork, how this thing thinks of as playful. Right. Okay. Um, what was the other one? You said balance playful? Ag- aggressive, which interestingly enough, aggressive seems to be the softest setting, which I would have made aggressive a firm. I mean, in my mind, aggressive riders like firmer settings. That makes sense to me as but well. But I kind of get, if you think of it as like XE trail downhill, it sort of makes sense. Right. Okay. Like downhill is sort of like softer settings, I guess, some of, some of the time. Right. Huh. Okay. But I found the aggressive settings to be softer than I wanted them. Okay. And I found, and this was all on the Tallboy three. So I'm going to try this on other bikes and I'm going to, and I've, I'm going to try it on other trails too. And I'm really curious to see if like when Ock rides it, if it tells him to slow his rebound is down as much as if it told me to, or maybe like Ox riding style shouldn't have a slow of rebound. Like, I don't know. I'm really curious. Right. So yeah. the magic's all in the algorithm and how they figured it out. It's all it, it's measuring how much time you spend where in the travel. Right. Okay. And so it's measuring pack up event. One, one of the screens shows deep compression events, pack up events, airtime. So like these are some of the things it's measuring, I think. Okay. Mm. And and just to give a, I guess a little bit of background which I think is kind of interesting is I think this product originally started as a Kickstarter project out of Australia. And then it got acquired by RockShock or SRAM, basically. It, Quark, which is owned by SRAM. Mm-hmm. Right. But basically they – so, I mean, I assume the RockShock guys basically probably went through the whole algorithm and said we agree or disagree when they acquired it from this Kickstarter They probably dude. helped tune it. Yeah. And so, I think it's probably going to undergo ongoing tunings. Yeah, imagine it's – I mean, like it's all Chappie, for the app, I think right? from Intense was giving them some feedback on, like, how pros might want it. And so forth, because he's working with some of the some of the guys on the intense team, and right, right. It would be interesting to see how, like, what the pro feedback is, because right. Well, I bet a lot of the pros had access to suspension feedback before. 
Like we right. we used to we've seen it at the races. Yeah, it's right. just that this is four hundred bucks, and you just put it on there, and anyone can do it. Right. Like right. top pros, I think, have had inf- access to this information. Yeah, data acquisition system. Data acquisition. That's the term that's been eluding me for the last ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting to see. I wonder why why it is that aggressive seems softer. It's I probably think it's just. I think it's really terminology. Just semantics. Terminology. Yeah. I mean, I can understand that. It it would be interesting to see what a Aaron Wynn or Rachel Atherton or Sam Hill. My conjecture is that it's more more spring and more damping of all kinds than what most of us run in a lot of them. More spring. But I so don't know. Did it have you up the air pressure? On my rear shock, air pressure stayed the same. On my fork, air pressure got a little lower. A little lower. Okay. But I historically err on the firm side on the fork. Yeah, I mean, I I tend to as well out of, like, if things go bad, I want to have a little more than a little less. Right. But it had me add a little low-speed compression, which is a philosophy I agree with. Let out some air, add some low-speed compression. I think I've talked about on the podcast before that that's a philosophy. That's Generally speaking, that goes with a philosophy that I agree with. Okay. I wonder how adding the... um the air volume spacers. It does make suggestions for that, right? Yes. And and it asks that you do that first before you do other tuning suggestions. Ah, okay. That is, so it's like start, start with air pressure and air volume spacers in tandem and then get into the next steps into the damping. And it's interesting. Like I found that it's ready to give like a hundred percent confident suggestions after like one lap at Oaks. So okay. like you could go do like, Climb old shoots, descend new shoots, make some changes, climb, reset it, reset both right there on your phone. Right. Climb old shoots, descend new shoots, maybe cha- make some other changes or maybe be happy. Right. So now in your case, you have one on each end. And is it retails $400 per end? If not more, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you, so it sounds like if you were to say, purchase one of these you would have to switch it from end to end and reset up but you would want to basically run the same trail when you tune your fork and you tune your wrist suspension i don't know about that i don't think you have to run the same trail and okay. it'll tell you like what it feels like it hasn't seen okay enough of now so like it'll say like you need to go pedal somewhere and that or it'll say you need to go ride some fast rough stuff kind of comments got it okay interesting now is Having the front and the rear on at the same time, is there any kind of communication going on? Or are they it's like two different sessions just running in independent, parallel? Independent, yeah. Okay. Totally independent. And kind of a tip is once you delete, if you're out there playing with the Shockwiz, once you, once you start a new session, your old session's gone. It's a one-time deal. Right. But what I found is, you know, if it's on your phone, you can take screenshots. <clears throat> Right. So there's mm-hmm. about like three or four screens associated with each session. So there's like the front page, which shows like the pressure. One of the things that's really cool about the Shockwiz is it's a real, seemingly very accurate pressure meter and it's real time all the time. Ah, okay. Pressure right. gauge. Did you find it correlated pretty well to your, the shock pump you were using? Pretty well, but it's like down to like the fraction of a PSI. Oh, wow. Digital. 
like that's, right there on your phone. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And and for people, just to clarify and stop me if I'm wrong, is um, you plug you screw this onto your air fitting on your shock or your fork, and you air the system through the device. Right. There's a second valve that your pump goes onto. So there's a valve that there's a valve that a hose connects to, and the other end of that hose connects to the air valve of your suspension. Right. And then there's a second valve that you can put a shock pump on. Right. And that's how you like, air up the, the shock of the fork. Right. While you're using it. Right. Cool. So, so you can take a screenshot of that front page and just by virtue of roughly what the air pressure is, you can know, like, usually the rear shock's like rough, about double or more the PSI of the fork. So you, that's an easy way to identify which shock whiz your data you're looking at is there oh measure. yeah <clears throat> that makes or, sense or you can look at the like num shock whiz identification number on the shock whiz and match it but Got like it. the psi is a really quick easy way to identify it right so you screenshot that front page and then you screenshot the suggestions and the observations that go with it right and then you can start a new session and not lose that information you know i i I'm kind of feeling like one of the really exciting takeaways for me and one of the big, when I saw this, you know, get announced, I was like, oh yeah, it's going to be for amateurs or for rookies, or it's just going to help you get close. But it's really refreshing to hear because I, I know your shock setup experience is pretty deep and to say you've run this and you agree with the settings. I think that's a really cool thing. So I don't know that I just straight agree. I mean, I think it's important to remember that I had to do balanced on the rear and playful on the front to like it. Oh, oh, you did two different settings. Right. Got it. Okay. And I don't, I'm not sure I would like playful on the back and I'm not sure I would like balanced on the front. So part of it still is knowing what you like. Okay. But I do think it's, it's just good feedback and it's very good feedback to be like, oh, you had no pack up events. It's like, huh, well, maybe I should slow down my rebound. I don't know. Like, not that I want pack-up events, but I want to go maybe up to the point where I get them and then back it off from there. Right. Right. Interesting. So so is that... Oh, go ahead. So I was going to say, so that actually, you know, as I kind of think about this, for somebody like yourself who's able to articulate and understand those nuances, you could take the the way that ShockWiz categorizes information and use it through, to a certain extent, your own lens of, of shock performance. I think so. And I also think it's the type of product that provides enough good information that it could be useful for someone with no background that brings exactly. n- nothing to yep. it. Yeah. It could be very useful for them, but also very useful for someone who already kind of knows what they want and just wants some help dialing it in. Right. That's, I think, and maybe just some suggestions for other things to try. Like, it's like, hey, like, you might not like slower rebound, but like, the shock was just said to try it. And like, that's a cool experiment. And I ended up liking it, even though I already thought my rebound was slower than most of my friends. Right. Right. And I, and I would be really curious to see, I have this kind of idea that maybe it's not going to tell everyone to slow down their rebound because different, like, and in particular, okay, so I spend a lot of time lifting my front wheel up off the ground. I try to either jump over rough stuff or manual over it and, mm-hmm. and G-outs and rollers and all that stuff. 
So I can see why it thinks I could get away with slower rebound. Mm. Ah, okay. But that doesn't mean I want that feel. Right. That slow. And we're talking like, I mean, it's already slower than most people run it. Like, it was already slower than most people run it. I did like two clicks slower. You know what I mean? It's telling me to go slower. So I think part of it is it's interpreting that I'm not spending the my suspend my fork is spending a lot of time not compressed. So it's like, oh, you could slow your rebound down. And like but like uh, in those okay. key but me and I would also be curious to see if what if I took it to somewhere with some bigger hits or what it would say too and some like more sustained rock gardens. Or what if you were what if you were spending time chasing Ruby or so in sustained rock gardens? In sustained rock gardens, what would it tell right. you then? Right, seriously, because you're maybe focusing a little bit. But I do suspect that someone who like ri- just rides their front wheel through bumpy stuff hard without really unweighting much, maybe it wouldn't tell them to slow their rebound down as much. I don't know. So, um, it sounds like there's a lot of scenarios where this could be used to help you tune in situations. I, I'm almost thinking of having it, you know, help you tune in your bike for a race situation. Like um, per course. Per like course. Like go ride a course. I right. think that could be really useful. And and to me, that's um, it's kind of driving at maybe the purchasing decision on, on this. Purchase versus rent. Purchase versus rent. Or or I, I probably a ton Because I think of it's going to be available for rent from a lot of... I think we're going to rent it out. I think right. we're going to provide it as a service right and then probably a ton of people are talking i I bet when this article came down buddies were all saying hey i'll pitch in and get one and share it but i the way you're describing it i could almost see a time where this might be nice to have on your bike ready to go when you go do races i think someone like you might enjoy owning it full time right I think the average rider who mostly rides the same trails most of the time and isn't trying to optimize for different courses might be happier renting it. Okay. Or well, buying it as a, buying the service of using it from someone. Right, because I think that the buying the service or renting if that renting came along with this insight like you're providing some consultation and some help, setup help. Right. Right. Yeah, I could see yeah, I mean that, and that makes more sense for you know, your less informed rider that this is going to get them 90% of the way there. Even for someone like you, Nathan, like let's say I'm playing around with different rental fees, but let's say I'm going to rent it out for 25 bucks plus five bucks for each additional day. So let's say you could rent it for a week for 55 bucks. Right. Two for 110. Yeah. It's tough. It's still tough to justify, justify shelling out 800 (laughs) bucks when you can get two for 110 for the week. Right. And like you might do that twice in a year. Yeah. And like still not, and still come out ahead compared to buying it. Yeah. And in this case, I'd almost be more interested. It sounds like I haven't looked at the app yet, but at some point I'm, I'm hoping to try it is, uh, the, uh, what happened, deep travel events, pack up events, things like that. Right. More looking at that on a course by course basis than necessarily the recommendations. Yeah. So the, Especially, Although I think 
you're going to try the recommendations, right? Right, exactly. And then if if you start to trust them or, or like start to find a pattern in how they relate. For me, a lot of on the for me the rear shock, it was like sort of like validation with like a little suggestion that I liked. Right. Which was to me validated the product pretty well. And then on the fork, it was um learning kind of learning how to read it to find what I want. Right. Well, it'd be really interesting, especially, you know, we've had the conversations here, how Nathan runs, has been running in the past, um, higher pressures, a little more, uh, fewer. High pressure, high volume. High pressure, high volume. High pressure, high high volume. To achieve, the goal is to achieve sustained high ride height. With linear plushness in the midstroke. Yes. Yep. Right. So that'll be in, it would be interesting to see and that's where I think Nathan is saying understanding what is happening is as valuable as maybe try this. As right. a recommendation that comes out of it. Well, and also like, you know, I think travel and the one thing that really comes to mind is every time I go to Sedona, I feel like I should change my suspension settings. Um, because it's such hard hitting hard edges there a lot of the time, like just pounding into transitions that have, you know, hard edges or, um, step down, step up. Even the G outs are square edged. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, and whenever I go, I always feel like my, if I'm like, Oh, if I lived here, I'd probably tune my suspension differently. <laughs> right. But I'm there for three days. I'm like, eh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's interesting too, like you and I were talking uh, the other weekend when we were riding, we were saying how um, one of the things you had mentioned was on some of your rides, you're approaching more of the downhills as at race pace to see where, um, not where things start to break down, but where you start to stress yourself. And it and might provide setup. you... And the setup, right? Right. Yeah. So w- what Ox mentioning is recently, like when, you know, say on a downhill and we're riding with friends, as long as it's kind of friends know what's up is I'll charge the whole downhill top to bottom. And what I'm really paying attention to is, yeah, the stress points, one on my bike setup and two, the stress points on myself. And then trying specifically trying to think of what kind of gym work should I work on to try to bolster that? So, for example, if I'm charging a five-minute downhill, I'm noticing my quads get really tired. I'm like, okay, well, maybe I don't really want to do a lot of arm work if my arms are holding up fine, but my quads are getting tired. Maybe I should do more like squats or something like that. When my quads get tired, I think of it as I need to get forward more. And Like I find my pressure. quads get tired when my bike setup leans to me being behind the bottom bracket on downhills. Ah, interesting. Hmm. But I agree, while I, I maybe disagree with the um, the fix to that particular problem, and it, I think it goes to our philosophies a little bit, is where like I'm more of the like, how do I make it so that it takes minimal effort to do this, and right. you're more of the like, how do I get strong enough to do this mindset. Right. Like, um, but I think actually I, I don't think that's really our mindsets but i think maybe in this particular conversation it came out that way right but um i i i think that 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 question of finding the breaking point to know what points to work on is a great approach to anything 
whatever right. your whether it's a business or a family or like <laughs> right. like knowing what your breaking points are so that you can kind of like work with them and be aware of them and try to like raise their level is a very effective approach. Right. Yeah, and that's <laughs> That's a good. That's a good point. I'm just doing it on for amateur enduro racing, but yes, <laughs> broad, broad reaching <laughs> principles. Well, so. like kind of like when when I hear feedback from customers at the path on topics that I know are kind of our breaking point, like oh we, yeah we struggle with that process, like right. that process is hard for us and we're trying to get better at it. Like I like hearing that feedback, but it's less interesting to me a little bit than when I hear feedback about a breaking point I was less aware of. Mm. Where uh, I was like, okay. oh, I thought we we're good at that. Like, huh, right. I wonder why that went wrong. Like, Right. Well, it's funny that you say it that way. I always thought the strong, like for me, if you said, what do I need to work on for enduro racing? I'd be like upper body. My, my legs are fine, but my legs get tired. My arms don't get tired. Hmm. So oddly enough, that was kind of, that's always been some kind of surprising to me. I feel, I feel like especially my personal philosophy is that on dirt bikes and downhill, if something's getting tired, it's positioning and technique and not conditioning. And I, again, overly more dogmatic yeah. than I actually <laughs> more dogmatic sounding than I actually am. Right. <laughs> I'm going to, next time we ride, I'm going to have you pace behind me and, and we'll charge a downhill top to bottom. And I want to see if you're noticing anything like All technique right. wise, you know? We yeah. should strap a GoPro onto on onto both of you so you guys can pace each other down. <laughs> like, because I think that's it's kind of revealing to watch yourself, right? Because some of the things that we perceive ourselves are different when we actually see the footage. But I would I would go out on a limb and say that if on downhills you're consistently mostly centered over the bottom bracket, your quad will not get tired. Okay. <clears throat> interesting so you think i'm leaning back too hard a lot of the time i think something about your setup is getting you further behind the bottom bracket, far enough behind the bottom bracket that your quads are working to support your weight in a way that they wouldn't be if your hips were over the bottom bracket ah okay well and, i'm noticing this in steep laguna trails which i think sometimes is hard hard to get away from you <laughs> might want to get back <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah there, Especially there, if you're not running like a 61 degree head angle <laughs> <laughs> and a double crown eight eight inch travel fork. You even race, bro. <laughs> so yeah, um, I think Betty Crocker proved us right once and for all. <laughs> <laughs> How could it be the least favorite phrase in the English language if it sold so much pre-made cake mix? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Betty. I mean, you're not going to get pre-made cake mix behind the cellar door. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> All right. Um, so, Shockwiz, I think we probably covered that pretty well. Did you guys want to talk about e-bike land? I want to hear about your ex- man, adventures on the full, the giant full E. The giant. So controversial. It, it is. Did you it, take it in any Orange County parks where it was illegal? Just kidding. Don't answer that. <laughs> I am going to say that. So there are regulatory issues behind e-bikes that have yet to be answered. I don't. I didn't really take the time. To you do mean my yet pro- to be answered with the answer yes? Because <laughs> 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 the answer is there. It's just that it's no. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. So I rode it around my house on trails that I knew and. Um, you know, loops that I had a rough feel for how long it would take me. Uh, um, 
And no, I don't know if where I wrote it was fair game or not. It probably Deluge is fair game. Let's just say you wrote it at the luge. I did write it at the luge. <laughs> I wrote it at the luge and and kind of behind the house here where these little kid trails are. Oh and, yeah, I think that's as fair on an e bike as on anything else. Yeah, let's just call let's it. Let's just fair. call it gray, a gray area, no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the one thing that I I went in, so I borrowed a e a large giant full e one. Yes. And so it's got a two-by drivetrain and, um, you know, it's kind of set up as like a, I would call like a mid to lower level trail bike. I would say aggressive trail. Aggressive trail. 150 fork, 140 rear. Did I have a 150? Yeah. Anyway. so. Okay. So 150 or, I thought I had a 140. It's like a trance. It's pretty trance. It's like a trance. Yeah, exactly. And like part spec on this one's, you know, like kind of more of the lower level. It's, there's a higher level build of this so there's the zero which is pretty top shelf and the one which right. is like second tier but like right. xt or xo level or whatever uh yeah i think mm, it might have been a little lower than that but uh, anyway it was everything super solid um i think the bars were a little little narrow for my taste but hey let's face it like there are so many things different about this the little bit of bar width issue wasn't really the issue um it had 2.6 inch tires so like semi plusish. kind of a lot of bees there's a, a few extra bees in there yeah. it's like many ish <laughs> quite a few bees yeah um and uh so i i did two or three greater than three? Tw- greater than 650 <laughs> greater than 650 <laughs> a few extra bees um i i wrote it two two or three times let's say two times two times for about two hours a piece um burn through most of the battery in each experience but i ran it on you know there's different power help modes there's like so this is a big question the the battery life oh the battery life yeah so i ran it on full power and i was surprised how long it so about two hours on full power about two hours on full power and no you know equal amounts of Elevation so you can run it. Lost. You could run it on a mid setting and a low setting, both lower than that, and get more time for sure. Yeah, and um, I did you any uphill drifting? No, but I did. So when I rode the luge and was climbing up the luge, it was like the luge or the grade. The great, I guess, the truck trail, San Diego up, truck trail, up to the luge. Yeah, um, it was like fast. Like there were a couple of corners where you had, I had to pay attention. Um, cause I was climbing, I think I climbed the thing at about 13 miles an hour. You almost might have some like uphill handling skills at play. There is oh, there wow. every once in a while you get some uphill handling skills. So normally this loop takes me about 45 to 50 minutes, depending on pace and spunkiness. I knock this thing out in 25 minutes. I knocked out a loop. Well, and we got to think too, that the time was coming off the uphill, not the downhill. Yes. Um, the downhill was fine. Um, the one thing, I mean, you do feel the weight. Um, I was not attacking the downhill with, like, you know, for example, I have a Hightower 650B Plus demo bike that I tried this weekend. I jumped on that thing and had no problem and charged it. You know, I've been riding a lot of demo bikes lately. And I have no problem jumping on a foreign bike. This thing was different. So I did ride a little bit more reserved with an extra 20 pounds on the bike. Um, also, the chain stays are relatively long because of the E mechanism. Or they're uh, like 18-something? 
Yeah, 460 millimeters are a little over 18. Um, and and I was talking to uh, Brendan from Felt, and he was saying, yeah, that's just the challenge with almost all the e-bike standards right now is you just can't get the chain stays that short. Mm. Um, and uh, th- so the big learning curve for me was think of this, and, and I kept telling myself is like, uh, I guess how how do I explain this well? Like, it's like riding a tandem, but it's a you're by yourself, and you've got another person helping you pedal. So you're like always about to get a divorce, but there's no one there to divorce. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, you got to there's another rider on this bike, and that's the motor. And the motor decides when it's going to pedal and when it's not. And you got to learn when that happens and how that happens, and learn to work with it. So you got to. It's like working with your buddy on the bike and your buddy's the electric motor. Right. And it likes a certain type of pedal, a pedal um, cadence. High RPM, low pressure is where you get the max assist, I think. But not too high and not too low. 70 RPMs. But not too low on the pressure. So like if Hmm. you spin out, even at lower speeds, it's like you can outpace it. um, And if you're not pushing hard enough, it's not going to push hard enough. And so there, you find you learn to work with the motor. And I'll tell you the biggest, biggest challenge for me on this thing, it loves consistent, steady climbs. Oh, it's just like you feel that motor working and it's, it's helping you a ton. And like uh, when I was cruising up a, a steady road climb, when I rode from Cook's Corner to the base of Majestic yeah. Grade, 19 miles an hour, just cruising oh, up the road, gosh. no problem. Get into a, a tough, difficult, technical climb. And I'll tell you the one thing that this thing teaches you is when you're climbing technical terrain, you are stopping pedaling every now and again. And it knows right away and it cuts out it cuts out the electric help and then you fumble. And so for me, climbing super steep technical stuff was super challenging. How um, to keep that cadence. How to keep the cadence very smooth and keep it going. And you the pressure on the pedals, stop. right? pressure on the pedals and then also i didn't realize how tuned my body is to leaning forward based on the pedal pressure that i'm applying and keeping the front wheel down because this thing you have to lean forward to keep the front end down but you're not cranking into the pedals like you normally would you're like leaning you're just forward leaning and like forward without <laughs> and like it's a really weird i finally started to get it but it took a learning curve to it so steep technical climbing was hard and if you were climbing up something super steep and technical and kind of bobbled for just a second the motor cuts out the weight's there you can't quite get it going again um it's it's really like you're done with that climb you you have to get off and and push the bike it's really hard to get going again and um so super steep technical climbs where you might pause your pedaling for just a split second it really wasn't agreeing with that um, but man, I'll tell you, like I said, when you want to climb a nice steady climb, it's, it's like, they're just pushing you up the hill. It's really, really cool there. Um, the other thing is, so it seems to like that. And it, then it seems to like you to coast downhill. So downhilling and jamming in pedal strokes, like aggressively and mm. short and intermittently, it didn't seem to like that as much. So smooth, steady, long, sustained uphills and coasting downhills, that's the jam for this thing. I, I, I felt. Um, the t- 2.6-inch tires seemed to work well for it. Um, you definitely felt a little bit more like weight 
going into the fork. You right. know, obviously there's right. 20, 20 extra pounds on this thing. Um, this bike had dual eight inch rotors, which I thought, yes, was appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, I'm trying to think of what else. Uh, I'll tell you. So I've been trying a lot of demo bikes and I've ridden a lot of different mountain. I've had a ton of different mountain bikes myself. When I brought this thing home from the path, I was so excited to take it out because it was like, this is something really new and different. Right. And, so did uh, it kind of deliver on the excitement or? It did. I I had a really good time with it. I I really enjoyed playing with it. Um, and uh, it charged really, really. I mean, you just plug it in and charge the thing. What do you think of my like boogie board inline skate analogy? Remind me of the, the analogy. It's fun until your friends see you doing it. So I did blow by some other riders. Huh. And I mean, I on the climbs, like I blew by these guys. I felt like such a dick. Were they mad? I don't think they quite knew. They didn't have time to get mad. I think one guy made a comment like, whoa, nice job, man. You're working. <laughs> like, not really. It's the wattage, bro. <laughs> it's the so, wattage, literally. So this was a tick. For my house, it's pretty much uphill to to the top of the luge, almost all the way. And um, normally when I start out, um, say if it's – and it's been cold here lately. Um, I This was my second time riding it, and I knew I was going to be climbing at a pace where I wasn't going to get that sweaty. And I was gonna be going pretty quick. I kept the jacket on for the climb because I was like, <laughs> oh, going fast up the hill. And I finished riding this thing, and like I was not that sweaty. Like was not it like, fun? Did it was, you feel good afterwards? Um, I liked it. I, you know, and this is something we've been talking about a little bit. This was more akin to, so like on on the scale of like I got home from work. And I want to go for a mountain bike ride. And there's this mountain bike ride experience. And there is this potential, I, obviously not in this area, but let's say I could come home and jump onto a dirt bike and go ride from my house. I wouldn't even say this is halfway there, but I'd say this is like 30% of the way there experience-wise. What about you and I like, right. So like you and I go jump on them and we do like an hour and 15 minutes like Joplin run, Harding Joplin. Uh, I don't think we could quite do it that but or like yes, maybe you could. You, it, it'd be close to that. It wouldn't be that close. much more than that. So reportedly, I, I had a friend who has acquired a fat full suspension high bike, and he started from very near my house here and got to the top of Joplin in an hour and 15 minutes. That sounds long. Given that um, Jake from the path rode the full E, for, he says from the bottom of Skyline Drive to four, to um four corners there with black star and, and and main divide in 15 minutes yeah i'm not i'm ugh. it's it's hard to say it's hard to say well so let's just say you're going to average 18 miles an hour uphill well i guess and so, harding is like a nine mile climb so when i rode here from luke with luke to the top of um we did a joplin run from my house and we did a respectable time we did four hours for the whole loop which is totally respectable, and Very. it took us two and a half, two forty to get to, um, get to the top of Joplin, and so with it, my friend with the e bike starting from substantially the same place, he got there in an hour fifteen. Oof. So we cut it in half. He cut it in okay. half from Luke and I riding it like so we if you meant can, it. If you could get, okay, and then there's probably another fifteen minutes to the on an e bike to the. To, to Joplin. No, this was to Joplin. Okay. This was to the saddle. These I've just are, sent to Joplin in 11 minutes. 
Right. And then there's like a five, 10 minute climb out and then like another 10 minute descent. Right. So like an hour and a half, two hours. Right. Tops. Exactly. And that's where I think this thing could be really, really cool in that regard. Um, and, and I was not work. It, it doesn't reward you for working hard. So, right. And mm. that's the weird thing. It, it really almost penalizes you. you from what it I does. Understand. Exactly. That was the weirdest There's thing to me. There's an optimal pressure and an optimal RPM where it will help you the most. And it's not hard. Right. It, it's not it's getting 70 RPM at like moderate pressure. Yes. And so that's the thing is, so Ak and I were talking about this yeah. and what I was saying is the e-bikes are going to be really cool in that you put in the same amount of effort and you go farther. It's not really the case. It yeah. doesn't let you put in the same amount of effort. So like when I'm climbing, I'm not putting out whatever watts. I'd love to run a power meter on one of these things, but it does not You could, let but you. it wouldn't reward you. It doesn't reward you. So It, it lets you, but it doesn't reward you. You're, it punishes you for it, that. You almost feel like you're fighting. When you like get mm. after this thing, you're like, I'm going to climb this hill and really push into it. It almost feels like you're fighting the motor. Interesting. But then when you back it off into that sweet spot, the thing's just like there helping you. It's really it that was really unexpected to me. So it's not putting out less. I wonder if that would be different wattage. in a lower power assist mode. I should have tried that. I don't know. I was just like every time I was like max, max power. power. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Duh. It's like not getting extra strength Advil. <laughs> yeah, I I Never actually, it never even dawned on me to run it in a lower power mode. <laughs> How about less power, bro? How about no? <laughs> um, right. Super fun, though. I mean, I had a great time on it. This thing, to me, the after work special ride where I'm limited on time and I want to get the most amount of downhilling I can in a given amount of time, this thing's really fun and it hits hits the mark. Scouting, and I trail building. Yeah, I could see that. Um, and uh, commuting still my my thing where I think it's going to be the biggest thing. Uh, potentially, I I could see that. It definitely that smooth when it was on the street and I could dial in my pedaling to its help. It was just humming. Yeah, and if if our listeners know anyone who has a DUI and doesn't have a license, that person should get an e bike. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So it's interesting. So Nathan and I were talking about um, twice the distance at the same amount of effort. But what it may actually end up being is twice the distance at half the effort. Half the effort. That's what it is. Yeah. And it doesn't it doesn't let you put in the full effort. And so, yeah, Ak and I were talking about. It lets you. It's just that you're still going to spend this. Like it might. You're not going to get there any faster. Right. No. You can work harder, but you're not going to get there faster. Yes, I would say, and so you really don't want to. <laughs> There's like zero. So we're not, not going to do it. There's zero the incentive. Econ- the economics of this situation, you yeah, just won't. Exactly, and so that's that's what I was feeling with this thing. Um, the suspension was was solid. It was fun. Um, oh, the one thing I did notice is. Um, you know, the I could really see the benefit of having this more burly one by system that SRAM has, that one by eight e bike mm. drivetrain. Cause this thing had the front derailleur. And the one thing I noticed is to make the front shift, it was because the rear shift you can you can kind of force shifts under pressure. But when you're like pedaling and you know, you're kind of tune your body to back off when you shift, 
it doesn't do it. And so you really, really need to back off to shift the front on this particular mm. model. It, um, you could really, it didn't want to drop from, say, the big ring to the small ring. Um, and you really didn't want to do that under pressure because the motor would engage. And it was, it was hard to time that. So, so that thing where you kind of like back off a little, let the front derailleur shift that we used, to, like new, new riders probably don't know how to do that. <laughs> right. right. It was even harder. It's even harder because once again, your little your little buddy who's the motor, it's, it's you got to learn to work with him right. too. So um, that that was a little bit of a surprising thing. A couple of times I tried to sneak a front shift in at the last minute and it wasn't having it. So mm. I I could see like a really like I totally see the point of this one burly by. one by eight stronger chain e bike drivetrain because you are going to be shifting and putting excessive pressure into the drivetrain when you're shifting on an e-bike like you're not going to be shifting um smartly (laughs) smoothly yeah it might take a little load off the free hub too yeah so you rode the plus high tower shifting gears yes so to speak so yeah i turned in the e-bike and said hey what what large demos do we have in the shop and uh yeah i got a high tower 650b plus that i rode this weekend x01 yeah eagle x01 how was the eagle Uh, it was good i liked it was that your first time on eagle that was my first time on eagle i appreciated the additional range what'd you think of how the plus tires climbed um they seem to climb well i a couple of times i rode it twice through whiting and there was a couple of rocky parts of the climb i tried to force myself into the more rocky climbs and see if it would kind of crawl through the rocks a little better. And I, I felt like it did. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like it was more work than your like regular 27 and a half inch wheels? I didn't feel like it was more sluggish. Mm. I did I not think feel most, that. Myself and most people, when they haven't ridden them, I thought it would. And then it kind of was Yeah. No, I, I, as far as like sluggishness, I didn't feel anything there. The, cli- the climbing acceleration is surprisingly good. It w- Yeah, that seemed fine to me. I, I didn't have any... No big noticeable things there. Um, one of the funny things is, is uh, I think when you look down on a bike, sometimes there's proportions that play with your mind where there's like tube thickness and tire thickness. Right, like the 35 mil stanchions on the bike look kind of spindly next to that tire. Yes, and the frame looks real twiggy. Right. You know, because you're looking down and the, you see tire on both, substantially on both sides of the well, frame. Like, e- uh, even like the 35 mil bar clamp looks spindly. Mm-hmm. It does. Mm-hmm. Which... In any other context, it's like, man, this is huge. Like, right. it used to be 25.4 and then we're 31.6. Yeah. So it, it does kind of throw off the proportions a little bit, but. Um, Boost helps. Yeah, it, it does. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, Tony and I were talking a little bit before the show. I wish I've played with the air pressures a little bit more. So but you're I, running pretty consistent, like 15, you said? I ran about front, 15. Front and rear? Yeah. And I felt like the. Um, when I got really aggressive with the bike, the tires felt a little squirmy. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to a deal breaker point at all, but for me, like based on the cup, you know, two or three rides I've done on this thing so far, in my mind, this is delegated to like adventure situations, you know, scree fields in the Sierras, a little bit of snow, a little bit of sand. I'm totally borrowing your copy on this, Luke. Um, <laughs> And uh, I think this is the, uh, that's like the ideal situation for this is uh, 
when you don't know what you're going to get into, it might be a little bit of an adventure situation, but your priority one is not railing downhills. Once you start railing downhills, it doesn't, you kind of wish you were on a, for me, I wish I was on a regular. To me, it's everything that's not ludicrous speed. Yes, I would agree. Like it's great for everything unless you try to go ludicrous speed, which is exactly what I want to do. Is go, <laughs> I want to go at mock chicken. <laughs> You're right, right around mock chicken is where plus starts to feel weird. Right. And that's like the magic moment for the people I like to ride with. Right. And every once in a while, like I was knifing corners, like just really, you know, like really railing through a corner. And then you feel that tire kind of squirming right. around. You're like, oh, okay, okay, back off, back off. Um, but there's you know, the squirminess, there's the bounciness. The, I did the feel a little bit of bounce. And yeah. you, you didn't seem to suffer from this, but for me, there's the never ending drift. Like it won't knife yeah. in, it won't stop. Like the drift initiates and it just keeps drifting front and rear. <laughs> okay. I did, mm. I did not feel that, but I, but I also did not feel inspired to rack this into a corner and try to find the where the corner knobs bit in. I, I wasn't even going there. Cause they don't, they, they, they kind of like flatten out and hang on for a long time. And then the drift initiates and then it's on. Hmm. That's my experience, <laughs> especially I, yeah. in like loose over hard on a, like a slightly off camber or flat turn loose over hard. You lean it over hard and you push that inside bar down and the drift starts and it just keeps going and you just end up in the bushes or worse. <laughs> right. I I would I would agree that that's kind of what I felt would have It feels like yeah. it's going to hang on forever until the drift starts. Right. And then it feels like it's going to drift forever. Yeah. Forever. The, <laughs> <laughs> the biggest thing for me was um when getting aggressive a little bit of that undamped tire bounce. Seemed that seemed um well, noticeable. At 15 PSI, I don't think you could go much lower, and I think adding PSI might just make it worse. Mm-hmm. Possibly, yeah. I didn't ring, rim ding at all at 15. I heard Brian at the shop, and we're similar weights. Um, I heard he ran, I think I asked Ian, I said, hey, what do you run? He's like, I run like 18, Brian runs 15. I was like, I'll try 15. Wow. <laughs> I found, for me, okay, so one of the big things with Plus is, the plus advocates will really drill this concept that like it's like down to the sub one PSI increment and it needs to be dialed. In other words, like plus tires are more susceptible to bad pressure than regular tires or more dependent upon optimal pressure. That make I could see that. And for me, it seemed like opt and I, I still, I still haven't spent enough time on it to say for sure, but it seemed like optimal was like, Maybe like 16 and a half, 17 in the front, like 15 and a half, six, or, or I'm sorry, 16 and a half, 17 in the back, like 15 and a half, 16 in the front, like right in that 17 range. I could see that. But like, there's talk of like, you, you know, it could feel horrible. You could like add or remove half a PSI and it would feel mm. awesome. Right. So keep that in mind if you're to, to our listeners who might be trying pluses, like, really work on that tire pressure yeah past that i mean it's hard to kind of separate the features but the high tower felt good felt great it's a cool bike yeah i want i, I want you to try it in 29 maybe mixed tire size <laughs> possibly or yeah jaron was riding his uh demo with 
29 front, extra Bs in the back. Oh, wait. He was on a high tower? Yeah. He 650 was B plus took, in the back? He took our demo bike yeah. out, and he did the 27F plus rear 29 front. He, I've ah, been talking about trying. Nice. He seemed to really enjoy it. He really liked it. Oh, cool. Yeah, you could probably... Supermoto. Yeah. You could... Not like Supermoto. <laughs> you could borrow my 29-inch front and take it out in that I, configuration. We could. I still want to put a 29-inch front fork and wheel on um, your bike of the year. <laughs> my, my, my blue bike of the year? Pink bike? I, I, bike more there. and more, I kind of want one. Do you really? Yeah, I kind of do. Nice. There's something about I kind of want one. Especially with the coil shock. The coil, I, I'm, I'm pretty stoked on the coil on my transition patrol. If I was made of money right now, I'd maybe try <laughs> a carbon patrol with a with a um, push rear shock. Eleven six. Oh yeah, how much are those things? Like a grand or more. You know. <laughs> are they all custom They're made? Heavy, heavy. They like are. a. It's like add half a pound to your bike and take the equivalent of that out of your bank account. <laughs> <laughs> Eleven six with a zero on the back end. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Whatever the proportional equivalent of your bank account is, which for me is like all of it. <laughs> but, uh, well, cool. I'm glad you guys are starting to think about those uh, the transition. Oh, I know Ox been thinking about one oh, too. Yeah. Thinking uh, is my middle name. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anything else you guys want to touch on? How many minutes are we in? Uh, we're at an hour 23. It's kind of like our number. Yeah. It's pretty close. Yeah. Man, you know what? I was, um, I was posting links on the, on the webs or on our, on our, sh- on our show as we kind of talked through and, and last time I, I did the same. I had a lot of links last time. Um, this time, not so many links. We spent a good amount of time on the on the e bikes and talking about ourselves. Shock whiz. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um oh I oh, forgot. Yeah, yeah. So we, we 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 brought this up on a show and we maybe kind of faked you out a little bit. We're we're gonna try to keep this consistent. Um Ock being the great photographer that he is, if you follow him or I on Instagram, most of the photos are from Ock. <laughs> Many of them are from Ock. Um uh, he's gonna give you guys some tips a little bit, hopefully more consistently. If we uh, continue to remember on uh, photo tip of the show. All right, thank you, thank you, Nathan. Faux show, faux show. <laughs> so um, today, I think I got a couple of things. Uh, one is uh, a technical tip, and two is more of a, a state of mind uh, when when you take pictures, and so. Um, the technical tip is get down to the level of the subject. So whether it be taking pictures of your bike or taking pictures of your bike with the sunset in the background or some cool landscape in the background or a friend of yours riding a bike or a child, you know, a, a three-year-old. You know, you look at some pictures of three-year-olds and the vast majority of them are Somebody standing above the subject with the camera with the with the adult eye level shooting roughly downward at the you know 
shooting roughly downward at the bicycle. They look like they're taken from the top of a step down. Exactly. And so if you take a moment to squat down next to your bike and shoot a picture of your bike with whatever background is in the um, behind there, um, or if you're shooting pictures of your of your child or someone else's child or whatever subject matter is, just kind of get down to the level of the subject. Um, and it's, it's amazing what that does. So, um, if you're walking around with your, with your iPhone or, you know, your point and shoot or a, a, you know, SLR camera, a big camera, one way to do this besides squatting down on your, you know, on, on your haunches uh, or getting down on your hands and knees is to walk around with your camera, just kind of, you know, I would hold mine down just with my, my hand at my waist, uh, shooting pictures, um, kind of at waist level. So, okay. so a couple different ways you can either squat down, shoot pictures or just hold the camera at a lower level. So like in a, say an adult on a, on a mountain bike, would you want the lens about like handlebar height or like, a little bit lower than that, like Fort Crown height. Yeah, I mean that's probably. I mean, <laughs> in action shots, uh, probably hard to tell, but yeah, that's probably about right. So okay, but not riders' eye height. Yeah. So I have this general feeling that like from below is usually more of a flattering action shot than from above. That's probably. I haven't even thought about that uh, from that perspective, but yeah, usually. So I mean, usually like a lot of times you're like kind of down or trail, below, not level or above. Right, you're kind of down trail um, shooting pictures. Um, again, you know, if you look at some of the pictures that I take, uh, it might be um, shooting pictures of somebody as they pass by as they're dropping in on a feature. And kind of that angle of someone dropping in on a feature um, is kind of a cool angle. But a lot of times, like one of the recent ones I posted, um, is me standing a little bit down trail and Nathan cresting um, cresting a feature uh, that made for a really cool angle. So that gets at what you were saying, Tani, a little bit uh, at or below the actual action. So what's kind of interesting, what that brings up is kind of my, you know, the second point is transcend the moment. So, you know, it's like, what are you talking about? Getting all zen about photo picture taking. So whatever picture you take, you know, it's easy to take a picture of a friend and when you show it to that friend or their significant other, or when you look at it, you're like, that's a great picture of you, Nathan. <laughs> of course, I know you, and I might have taken the picture, or, you know, we know Tawny, and I might, you know, and it's easy to feel engaged in that image. But when you take an image or a, a picture, try to think, even if I didn't know the person, would this draw me into the moment? So all of us, like, maybe not all, but we have these moments where you see a picture of a, a mountain bike, a uh, mountain bike rider coming through a single track through the trees. And you look at that and you think, whoa, that's cool. And part of it is it evokes an emotion in you like, I've been there. 
or I've seen one of my buddies ride through maybe not that exact trail, but something like that. And it evokes this emotion in you. I often, I used to shoot a lot of uh, Little League Baseball. And, you know, one of the things I would say to people is, they would say, oh, you take some great pictures of, of baseball. And I said, you know, part of it is I really enjoy taking pictures of, you know, my boys or my friends' kids. But I think what I started honing in on was it didn't matter that I knew the person or not. Like when other people would look at those images, even people that didn't know, you know, any of the people I was taking pictures of, one of the first things they would say is, oh, I used to play Little League. Or, man, you know what, when my when my son or daughter used to play Little League. And what I was recognizing is that those pictures were evoking emotions in people. And so it was transcending the moment. It was transcending the subject itself. And so when you read, you know, when you read photographers and, and what makes them great, uh, that's one of the things that they talk about is their images, they look to get beyond the actual image that itself and it should evoke an emotion in, in other people. Would, would you almost say it in another way, like <clears throat> think of telling the story to an outside audience? Exactly. I think that's okay. a great way to put it. Okay. You know, so, so even, you know, even like here in mountain biking, you know, we could take images of mountain biking and be able to tell that story to someone who doesn't ride mountain biking. So, right. so somebody who doesn't ride mountain biking can look at some images of, of bicycling, mountain biking, and go, oh, that's really cool. And it almost reminds them of something they might have done, even if they've never mountain biked. Cool. And to recap, your, your, other, your other tip from a couple of shows ago was take more pictures than you think you need. You're not going to get, it's not going to be a one hit, one kill. Very much so. Like hold that button down, hold that button down on the iPhone and snap. Like I think Nathan and I were just riding and, and you know, in two passes on the one image that, that I posted on, on Instagram, uh, hashtag the path podcast, um, of Nathan cresting a feature. I think I probably took, 50 pictures on two little passes and right to get the one you like to get the one that i liked right so so be generous with your photo taking sorted out later exactly cool Great stuff all righty and i think ox approach to picture taking will help with anything you do in life like think of the context think mm. of who's yeah. think, think of who else might see it and 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 who else might be interested or not interested and be present and be thoughtful. <laughs> yeah. Be aware of your point of view. <laughs> I was, when you were describing that, I can't think like um, at work when I deal with tech, technical documentation, I always try to think what happens in five years down the road when someone else has to read this and uncover how I went through this. <laughs> exactly. you know? Oh man, if more people thought that way, because <laughs> yeah. that's a good question. I, 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 As someone who sometimes looks at stuff from five years ago and tries to understand what was going on. Exactly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I, I call it the, uh, in, in that particular case, I refer to it as the poor bastard test. Like, what about the poor bastard who has to crack <laughs> oh, this open man. later? <laughs> That's uh, great. That's awesome. Yeah. Poor bastard. Yeah. All right. Well, um, you guys want to wrap it up? Love sure. the bike you ride. <laughs> Good evening, all. <laughs> Good night. Good night.
the buttercream creaminess of Creamy Deluxe. It's the only way to frost the incredible moistness of a super moist cake. You have 